0: Back to the papacy after my little yogic uh, digression. Uh, just a couple of tidbits that I've picked up by listening ahead a little to my podcast, Friends Podcast. Steve, his name is. Uh, Peter's original name was Simon Bar-Jonah. Now, Bar, I didn't know this, is mook you know, of you know son of um, and so that's a little bit like o in irish you know o'reilly uh, or mc as in macdonald uh, and all that okay fair enough um and um how did he come to be the rock upon which jesus said he would Build his church. Well, Jesus asked his apostles, "You know, now this is apparently, you know, it's in the Bible, but it's not verified. Who am I? <laughs> yeah, the, the nights, you yeah, know, the long winter nights <laughs> in Jerusalem. <laughs> Who am I? <laughs> yeah, he had a little stick on on his head, you know, and on his stick on, um, it had, um, God." <laughs> And, uh, but the trouble is the apostles were all illiterate anyway. So, um, Andrew, who I found out was Peter's brother. Oh, no, Simon's brother, Simon Bar-Jonas, Andrew Bar-Jonas. Okay, I'm getting the pattern. And, um, he, Andrew had tried to become a little self-taught, you know, but he read it backwards and, uh, but it was God, yeah. um, after Andrew made his attempt uh, you know Jesus said to Andrew, "You're not going to be the rock with that yeah. funny joke and Andrew said it wasn't a joke. I was trying my hardest well, oh, bad luck said Jesus. anyone else and um Peter, who was illiterate, who taught him to write letters? I still haven't worked that bit out yet yeah. he come apparently he comes from a fairly feral part of Galilee um culture wise and all that sort of thing and he was uneducated and you know like who taught him to write all right but somehow you know so he heard his brother say dog and um and he said uh and he tried to put two and two together he knew his brother was dyslexic so he put three and two together and he said god and jesus said Ding, bingo, yay! Yeah, he started dancing around. Right now, um, that's Peter started dancing around. Yes, he said. Yes, he was an American, you know. Um, and uh, what happened then? And Jesus said, "I'm going to build an entire church on you." And Peter said, "What? No, no, not literally, you idiot! Oh God, <sighs> you North Galileans!" <laughs> Um, but anyway, one st- long story short. If anyone else had guessed, they would have been the rock. Surely, you know. Um, but you know, none of the others guessed, and Peter guessed. You know, the others didn't know that Andrew was dyslexic, and that's how it went. So, you know, a little bit of a "Who am I?" game um, by the campfire around the Sea of Galilee, and a huge church pops into existence. All right. Now, there were twelve apostles and my podcast friend has said there was a reason for the twelve. Yeah, that there had to be twelve because apparently twelve was significant in Jewish tradition. Okay, I can buy that. He said there are many, many reasons why you have to have twelve. Um, he's from New York, so he speaks a bit like that. You no, know, he does not try and do him. There are many, many reasons that there has to be twelve. No, I can't do it I can't do a New York accent. Um right. So that's that. So that's why when Judas committed suicide, uh another apostle had to be found to make it a neat dozen. 12 um is yeah that's an obvious number. That's why we had pounds, shillings and pence and you know um imperial measurements were all based on 12. We're used to 12 in in England, you know, we're all English. We are Australians, we're used to twelve. I was born in the uh, b- the pre decimal era, just <laughs> so I was there. You know, don't you tell me I was there? And when I get to one hundred, I might be the last person who was there. N- see, we can all have a claim to fame. Um, Nineteen sixty six was when the decimal currency came in, I believe. Right now, um, now here is the thing. Uh, I found out that Peter did indeed become the Bishop of Rome. You know, he started communities all over the place, and the ones that were mentioned were, you know, modern day Israel, modern day Lebanon, and modern day Syria. Uh, Those borders didn't exist back then, of course, and uh, a couple of other things. Just like Life of Brian, this um, this uh, podcast person says that this area of Judea was a pain in the neck for Rome. Full of arguing factions, you know, sects. Everybody arguing, you know, making a big deal of everyone not chilled. And I find that easy to believe with the Jews, yeah, arguing theology and all that sort of thing. Anti-Semitic? No, I'm not being anti-Semitic. If you're a pain in the ass, you're a pain in the ass, and apparently they were a pain in the ass. You know, um, all right now, um, to Rome, yeah, and. No, They had to be because they got wiped out, and Rome doesn't wipe out people if they're not being a pain in the ass. So, to Q E D, you know, so seventy A D, um, you know, which is coming up after Jesus dies. Um, seventy A D, uh, Hadrian heads down there, just wipes a lot of them out. You know, um, destroys the temple. Uh, would he have done that if they weren't a pain in the ass? From Rome's perspective, you're either a pain in the ass or not. All right, Um, so that's that. You know, you might they they had, you know, they can very, you know, they can put up a very strong justification as to why they were a pain in the ass. But the point is, there are more of a pain in the ass than all any area that didn't get wiped out. You know, and the Carthaginians were a pain in the ass too. Yeah, Punic War One, Punic War Two, Punic War Three. You know, and Rome. You know, because so Rome completely destroyed the Carthaginians why pain in the ass you know um i'm not being moralistic i'm just you know just cause and effect you know i'm not i'm not being judgmental i'm just saying they had to be or well, they wouldn't have got wiped out right so that's that now as far as um the apostles go apparently pretty much every bishop in what i'll call the non-happy clap churches in the world um yeah, Because in the modern age, we've got happy claps. I'll just let you guess what I'm talking about that. I think you know what I mean. Um, and apparently all the mainstream churches of the world who have bishops, and this is, you know, Orthodox and Catholic and um, even Anglican, or most of the Anglican churches, um, I would imagine the high Anglican church especially, uh, but you know, apparently, Anglican priests too. I mean, A- Anglican bishops. Apparently, they all trace back to one of the twelve apostles in the apostolic succession. All right. Uh, so that that sort of covers that. Now, whether they do or not, you know, the the early apo- the apostles are shrouded in mystery. You know, we don't we have got no verification as to who they were. But you know, it is said. You know, and that's good enough for me. Okay, we're not going to have, you know, we're not going you know, to have proof. We're not going to have independent, verifiable proof. So we'll just say, they say, this is the story the Catholics and the Anglicans and the Orthodox tell themselves, and that's that's the way it is. Okay, that's all. More later. Then, I've, I've been there before. Everything's alright I'll just say goodnight And I'll show myself to the door I can't stand country music Especially raw country music uh, I dislike con- country music even more than I dislike rap And that's a lot Especially raw rap uh, Anyway, that's why I put it on That's why I put it on. (laughs) Right. Um, uh, Now, uh, I was actually just thinking about what I said in the previous bit. Uh, And I'm just thinking about Jesus. Or the idea of Jesus, you know. Um, Playing that game of who am I? You know, who do you say I am? Apparently it's a very big moment in the Bible. For Catholics. Anyway. It's a big Bible. Uh, it's a big Bible. It's a big moment in the Bible. Uh, because it is that one little moment in the Bible upon which the Catholic Church is built. Because that's the build. That's the. Sorry, I'm being a bit dyslexic at the moment. Um, that's the bit in the Bible where Jesus turns Peter into a rock. Well, he turns Simon Bar-Jonas. I think I said Simon Bar-Jonah before. No, I don't think I did, because I listened back on it. Uh, you know, Jonah, he lived in a whale. But I think we're talking Jonas. Okay. Uh, and that's when, he, that's when Jesus turned Simon Bar-Jonas into a whale. You know, or into a rock didn't turn him into a whale. Now, um... So that's a big moment for the Catholic Church, that whole bit. But this, you know, this game of who am I... uh, And I didn't put much thought into this before I started this uh, segment of the episode because, you know, otherwise it'd be quite listenable if I put some thought into things before I started. But I don't want this thing to be listenable. I want it to be fresh. And like, as fresh as something coming from a chaotic mind. Now, thinking about Jesus playing the game of who am I, right? Who do you think I am? And he played that game with his apostles, and a cold read of the Bible, of that section of the Bible, would suggest that whoever was going to put his hand up and say, you are, you know, God, the most high, you know, Optus, Optus Deus Maximus, yeah. Uh, Deo Optimus Maximus. Um, whoever was going to say anything like that was going to be Jesus' main man, you know, because he asked the questions. He gave everyone a fair, a fair crack. He asked the whole 12. Who do you say I am, he asked the group. And... Peter was the one who, you know, chirped up and said, you are God, you know, Jesus, right-hand man, the whole guy, you know, right-hand of the Father, you know, Most High, uh, Messiah. Ah, he said, you are the Messiah. You know, he said something like, you are the Messiah. Yeah. Messiah. The Messiahs are a big thing. The idea of a Messiah, this much I know, I think, is a big thing in Jewish tradition, you know, if you're a Messiah. Uh, I think um there yeah, there were quite a few messiahs. The one I remember but um Jesus was the big messiah as far as Christians were concerned. Uh, I think Cyrus the Great was called a messiah because he delivered he del- he freed the Jews from Babylonian slavery, you know, because um Cyrus the Great um took over Babylon at some stage and uh Just before Alexander the Great was Cyrus the Great. And he was great, he was good too, he's nice. Uh, As far as I can tell. uh, Not much is known about him, but a lot is known about him. Now, um, and I think he's the only Gentile ever to be granted the accolade Messiah, you know, because he, what, he delivered delivered the, the Jewish slaves from the hands of Babylon, you know, okay. But to be a messiah in that sense, you have to deliver Jews from their slavery, you know. People who delivered other slaves from their slavery were, you know, the Bible stays silent on them. Um, Oh, jeez, you know, don't make value judgments about that. Um, But, you know, Jesus came along and sort of tried to stop that sort of game where... You could only be a, a really good leader if you helped Jews, you know, uh, because that was in, that's the Jewish tradition. Uh, that's the tradition of a lot most cultures, I think if you help Australians, we love you more than if you help New Zealanders you know in Australia. Uh, maybe we do, I don't know. Uh, all right, but uh, Jesus ended up coming along and you know somehow said, Oh you know uh, it's not only Jews, the Gentiles are welcome too. Yeah, and that was the Council of Jerusalem decided that after Jesus died, that, that Jesus' overall message was that Christianity was for everyone. And in that, I've said before that I think Christianity was mirroring Rome, which was moving towards the idea that anybody can be a Roman citizen. Yeah. Um, so the uh, heavenly idea of Christianity was mirroring the earthly idea of Rome. far as I can tell. And, you know, um, St. Ambrose would eventually write the city of God, you know, which would be a mirror, as far as I can tell, of the city of Rome. Now, what I mean is, you know, the empire of Rome. Yeah, not the actual literal city. Right. So, um, yeah, so, you know, the Council of Jerusalem um, decided that, yeah, all that. Um, Cyrus the Great, I don't know where I was up to then. But, um, Peter, the Rock, um, oh yeah, Jesus, playing the game of who am I? Right, who do you think I am? Who do you say I am? And Peter put up his hand and says, you are the Messiah. Okay, that's how I got onto all that Cyrus the Great stuff I remember now. Um... Now, did Jesus know that Peter was going to uh, pipe up beforehand? Either he did or he didn't, right? Now, if If he did, you know, a little bit like later on, Jesus said, one of you will betray me, you you know, one of you will be in the Garden of Gethsemane. You know, Jesus is sort of crying his eyes out, whatever. Um, one of you will betray me you know? and he meant Peter you know? um, so way back here earlier on in his career Jesus is looking at all the 12 apostles same as later on when he said one of you will betray me and he's looking at all these apostles and he says who do you say I am who am I now he either knew Peter was going to come up with the correct answer or he didn't is that fair logic? Right, he either did or he didn't. No. Some things are a dichotomy, I think, in on this planet. Okay. Or he could have, you know, he could have been hedging his bets. All right, some things aren't a dichotomy. He could have half known. <laughs> right, he either knew for sure or he didn't. Now, if he didn't know, then, The kind of Eddie Izzard sort of uh, skit that I created earlier in which, you know, any of the Twelve Apostles could have been the head of the Catholic Church, um, had they just piped up before Peter. Any of the other Apostles could have been the head of the Catholic Church uh, would apply. You know, if Jesus didn't know before he asked. Okay. So that's alright, that's pretty simple. Um, but if Jesus did know before he asked, how did he know? Now, there is another dichotomy dichotomy in there. It was either because he could see the future, and he um, was a god, you know, or, or what? He already knew. Uh for earthly reasons, he'd already worded Peter up beforehand, perhaps. You know, Peter and he had already discussed it. Now, I actually feel that that question wasn't asked out of the blue, right? So put aside option, you know, 2A, and we'll go with option 2B there. Option 1 was. Uh, he didn't know at all Jesus, right? That was option one. Now, option two is that he did know, and that's the one I'm running with. Now, option 2A is he did know, but that was only because he was God and he could see the future, you know? Okay, right. So, one and 2A are both very possible, but let's see, you know, because, yeah. And that's okay if you, if you believe in one or 2A, all power to you Um, but I'm going with one, Uh, with option 2B and option 2B is that before he asked that question who am I that Jesus knew who was going to give the correct answer and that he knew because he'd already set it up beforehand right so he asked a question to which he already knew the answer. Because he had sorted that answer out beforehand, you know. A little bit like a lawyer. A good lawyer does that. You know? My wife does that. You know, um, she makes. You know, she makes a career out of knowing the answers before she asks the questions. Only a fool asks a question to which she doesn't already know the answer, okay, that sort of thinking, okay, there's a lot of good lawyer quotes, you know, anyone who acts for herself has a fool for a client, <laughs> I like all those ones, Um. alright, now Jesus, I'm going with option 2b, but I am not disrespecting anyone who goes with option 1 or option 2a, option 2b is that before he asked the 12 apostles, Um, Who am I? You know, with a view to getting the answer, the Messiah. um, Before he asks. Funny how Jesus won't ever say that to himself, will he? Didn't he say something like this to Pontius Pilate? You know, he won't come straight out and say it, Jesus. He needs someone else to say it. Uh, Jesus won't say it himself, you know. Because this is this humility that Jesus has got, where I never say that I'm the greatest. You know, I'm not the goat. You know greatest of all time you know jesus has this certain humility okay where he you know he's james heard the greatest of all time because james heard is the greatest of all time in football um everybody knows it and he's a saint as well right now um and james heard never says it too either james heard never says i am the greatest we say it for him you know because we all know now Okay, exploring two A. Jesus won't come out and say, "I am the Messiah." Did he not do this? Play this sort of game, you know? And I'm not disrespecting him for playing the game. I reckon you're an idiot if you come out and tell everybody you, you're the goat because that comes across as lacking humility. Now Jesus comes across as not lacking humility. He's very humble. Jesus. Okay. Um, but I'm going for two A. In which he knew what Peter was going to say, but he needed Peter to say because he didn't want to say it himself. So that's kind of a humility that's been uh, prearranged. Hmm, that's interesting. Okay. Now, later on, at his trial with Pontius Pilate, um, he came before a high ranking judge, Jesus, apparently, um, and then got referred up to Herod the Great. You know, when the high-ranking judge Pontius Pilate couldn't settle his case, um, uh, Pontius Pilate apparently bumped it upstairs to Herod the Great. Yeah, right. Uh, Google Herod the Great. Herod the Great would not hear a um, a, 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 um, a case of, you know, a waste my time case like Jesus, you know, and even Herod said that, you are wasting my time, he said something like that, you know, it would not have got that far up to the, you know, he's the Supreme Court, No, no, sorry, he's the High Court, you know, he's the highest court, he's the Privy Council, that's Herod the Great, and they say that Jesus got bumped up to Herod the Great by I hope I'm not sounding too sarcastic, because I'm not disrespecting the Bible, you know, in this entire podcast, surely I'm not coming across as that, but I'm allowed to doubt things, aren't I? Um, So, Herod the Great was great, he really was actually, he was a great man, you know, he's one of the great men of history, no doubt about that, Uh, uh, oh, absolutely propped up by Rome, Rome you know, he was willing to play the game with Rome as a client. You know, the leader of a client state as the sort of the king of a client state. Um, if if someone was willing to play the game with Rome, Rome really looked after that person. And you know, Herod the Great had the support of Rome. Okay. Um, oh, there's another angle to that. You know, the way that Pontius Pilate got all stressed and said, this case is too hard for me, I'll bump it upstairs. You know, the Bible would have you believe that. What idiot administrator, you know, who has got to such a position as Pontius Pilate got to, is going to admit that he can't solve the case of a... um, of you know a petty um, a petty uh, preacher on the street corner uh, claiming to be Jesus uh, claiming to be the Messiah and the conservative Jews being unhappy about that you know uh, would you if you were Pontius Pilate you know what a career limiting move to trouble Herod the Great Google him you know like if you want to um, Google him. Um, would you waste Herod's time with a case by uh, in such a way as you're admitting that you can't deal with it? G'day, Herod, the Great. I can't deal with this guy. Can you deal with it for me? You call yourself a Roman soldier, son. You know, call yourself a Roman magistrate, son. I really don't. You know, we might have to just uh, review whether you are fit for this role. You know, you would do that. The Romans were famous for being can do. No way. You know, that's what I think. No way. Now, I've lost track because that one just troubles me so. That one irks me so much that it's going to actually throw me off my train of thought. Yeah, But I'll try and get back on my train of thought. Yes, yeah, so I'm back on it now. So, um, let's just roll with it, you know, because you have to do that with the Bible. You have to roll with it. You don't have to. You can actually um, entertain the Bible and things like the Bible, you know, the Koran, for example, um, and all sorts of, you know, stuff that people assert to you as being true, you know. Um, You know, modern conservative politics is often asserted as self-evidently true, you know, and, you know, I find a lot of that rubbish. Um, Did I mention um, and progressive politics, modern progressive, you know, compassionate politics, often presented to me as true. I've got a friend who says let all the refugees in. And I said, you mean all of the refugees? She says all of them. Looked me straight in the eye. You know, now that would get all, you know, that would cause, an absolute, that would be a disaster for all the refugees, as well as for all Australians, you know, all, you know, she didn't leave any room for quantifying what all means, you know, and that's just nuts, you know what I mean, that's just nuts, even the refugees would say that's nuts to her, well, the first ones that were let in would, you know, when when they were let in and then, you know... They went up to her to say thank you for letting us in and she said, oh, that's alright, I'm letting all the others in too. What? You know, that's what the refugees would say. What? You idiot. (laughs) Uh, Do you know what will happen? We just came from that place. Yeah, I hear that a lot from, you know, know, I, I I do know that that is said. There are refugees that come into this country who do say, you can believe me or not, it really doesn't matter if you don't believe me because, you know, I'm not here to be believed. This is not Facebook. But, you know, if you take refugees from um, one mob over there, I don't care what sort of refugees they are. They can be from the Balkans. They can be from, you know, North Africa. They can be from the Middle East. They can be from Afghanistan. They can be from New Zealand. Wherever you take them from the refugees um you know by and large you grab one refugee and say listen you know your enemies back there that were actually you know uh, back in the old country and they say yep because they've always got enemies always do you think we should let all of them in too nah they would say as soon as they learned the Aussie vernacular um but my friend thinks they should be okay. This time I will have lost my train of thought, yeah. um, but I'll get back onto it because all I have to remember is who am I? You know, because that's my little catch, my little catchphrase for this uh, episode. I think it's become that way. So Jesus said, "Who am I?" And he said this to the twelve apostles. Now I'm going with option two A in which Jesus um, knew in advance that Peter was going to be the one to respond um, and that he knew this because he and Peter had colluded. Now, maybe not colluded in a, a, um, you know, in a corrupt way, but, you know, they were on the same page, you know come on, are you going to say that they hadn't discussed it? You know, are you going to... You know, this is a a sect. This is a sect with a clear sect leader who is clearly clearly inspirational. Um, Are we going to say to ourselves that Peter had no idea... That all the 12 apostles had no idea that Jesus was some sort of messiah, you know. I say that before he asked that question, who am I? He knew that he was going to get the answer, you are the messiah. You know, I think they had discussed this many times. You now Jesus didn't start becoming messiah like from that day onwards. He had been messiah like. We already know this throughout his whole ministry. We know this he had been Messiah-like since he was a child. His parents lost him, and he was found in a temple being Messiah-like. We know he was a Messiah from childhood. His mother knew he was a Messiah from childhood. The 12 apostles knew he was the Messiah at the moment that he asked that question. And yet, Jesus kind of knew that Peter, that Simon bar Jonas, not Jonah, was going to say yes. I think he did. I think he did know that Peter was going to say that. Or, now we know that the, you know, or was he willing to let, to roll the dice and let, you know, even under option 2A you know because suddenly i'm i'm arguing that they all knew he was the messiah but yet and yet peter piped up first all right this is a problem isn't it see you can dig yourself into a hole what was jesus up to firstly i think there's a fault there's some sort of false humility involved which i think is worse than being, than being unhumble um, um And you could probably think of modern examples of people who do that. You know, some uh, woman um, on Facebook who takes a, you know, who's got a a perfect figure who um, poses in a bikini for a selfie on social media and says, oh, my God, you know, they say, OMG, I can't believe my stomach is so fat in this bikini. And then, yeah, that's kind of fake humility, isn't it? Sort of sorts, maybe, yeah. All right, um, there's a tennis player that did that. I uh, saw it in the paper today, so. Um, what's her name? Eugenie Bouchard, I think. <sighs> Jesus. <laughs> Eugenie. You're all the same. No. Now, um, okay. So Jesus, uh, the twelve apostles. All right. I'm running with two a open brackets Roman numeral one close brackets that um, Jesus knew um, uh, knew that somebody was going. That the, somebody knew he was going. You know, when he asked the question, who am I? Um, He he was not rolling the dice, I really think that. But but at this point in time, under Roman numeral 1, Jesus um, knows that all 12 apostles know that he is the Messiah. All right. So he's still rolling the dice, isn't he? even if he set it up, you know, the way he does throughout his career, I think. I think you could find other examples where he won't say that he's God, um, but cryptically, he sets things up, you know, rhetorically, he sets things up so that the answer has to be you are God, you know. So he says, who do you say I am? You know, um... An idiot you know no one's going to say that you know he's setting it up because he wants that answer there is, when he asked that question he was not going it's, there was no way that the answer could be anything other than Messiah so when he asked that question, "Who am I?" he was making a declaration that he was the Messiah in my opinion now I'd need a theologist to check that, but please if you're a theologist, ring me on five 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 you know you can't find me, you know, 555, you can't find me, ring me and tell me I'm wrong. When he asked, who am I? Who do you say I am? Was that code for I am the Messiah? And yet it is really important for Jesus to never say it. He needs someone else to say it. I think it's a stitch up. Okay. Now, and yet... He had to know that Peter would say yes, because Peter, as his right, right-hand man... Was Peter his right-hand man before this moment? Or did he suddenly become his right-hand man, right-hand man after that moment? Okay, one way or another, Jesus needed Peter to be his right-hand man. See, if you're a lawyer, you could pull this apart. All right? Okay. Now, the different apostles, they all do have... Different um, personalities and only Peter uh, you know and I, know, I think I know this much he needed Peter to put his hand up and say you are uh, you are the Messiah he needed Peter to be his rock because Peter had all the right qualities or lack thereof you know to be that Messiah. I think I've heard that um, who was the one who was the chair chairman? of the first council of jerusalem yeah because present at that first council of jerusalem was peter and paul and it was a very important meeting between the apostles and paul and maybe a few others um in which the definition of christianity you know in which christianity was um was kicked off really um i think it might have been james you know and james was very good at that sort of thing you know But it was important, you know, you'd have to get into theology again. Um, Jesus needed Peter to say, to be the person who identified him as the Messiah. You know, but I smell lots of rats in the process. Yeah, and I'm not liking it much, whether it's option one, that you go for, I'm not liking that all that much anyway, you know, option one is where he already can predict the future and yet he asks the question anyway and gets the answer that he was asking for in the first place, in which case he's not humble because he's saying, I am God, okay, and yet he clearly throughout his career claims to be humble, you know, and won't say, I am God, you know, I think he doesn't say that, I think he refrains from saying that. So, option one is a problem for me. Look, either say that you are saying it, or don't be cagey, you know, even if you are a god. You know? Now, option two A is where he simply didn't know and he was just rolling the dice. He simply didn't know and he was rolling the dice. Actually, I don't mind that one. Okay? So, I don't mind that one. But option to B, Roman numerals 1 and 2, I reckon those two options leave me a little bit cold. I just listened back to myself, speaking that last little bit there. Well, half of it. And... Um, I've had a rethink on the the bit where, where I said that, you know, Pontius Pilate uh, pushed Jesus upstairs to Herod the Great. I'm not that good on how the politics and the judicial system and all that sort of stuff works back in ancient Rome with respect to, you know, I know there was Roman law, right, for Roman citizens, okay roman law applied to roman citizens in there was a certain you know there were certain laws for roman citizens okay and then there would have been laws which applied to non-roman citizens living within rome i imagine okay so if you're a foreigner uh, or you're a slave and so on uh, you know um if you broke a law uh If you're a foreigner, let's take that one, that's easier. If you're a foreigner foreigner and you murder someone in Rome, uh, you would be answerable to uh, the Roman legal system. And I understand that um, there were certain punishments for non-Roman citizens that could be applied, which couldn't be applied to Roman citizens. And this is just one small example. So if you were a non-Roman citizen, you could be crucified but if you were a roman citizen you couldn't be crucified you had to have your head chopped off you know and i was exposed to that little nuance um courtesy of paul and peter you know because paul uh, there was no there was no legal way for paul to be crucified because he was a roman citizen whereas peter could be crucified and so could jesus you know so um Paul outranked Jesus and Peter and all the other apostles uh, because Paul was a Roman citizen. All right, so um, there, uh, there was um, so if someone came to now, Jesus was brought to Pontius Pilate, and Pontius Pilate was a Roman, so um, there would have been a whole body of law that applied to that scenario. Jesus was a member of a client state who was brought to a Roman um, um, for the, you know, and the, essentially the client state being what the Jews um, were asking the, a Roman to adjudicate, you know, uh, adjudicate um, according to um, that set of laws, the Roman set of laws, you know so there were there were crimes and punishment under Roman law. now I suspect that there were also uh, was also there was also a set of laws that was that was separate to that that applied within the client state you know? now, if this was Australia, I imagine there'd be Australian law under the Australian Constitution because Australia is a young country, young and free. it actually is. Young and free, you know, people say, oh, 65,000 years old, you know. And you say, yes, not, not that Australia, <laughs> the other Australia under the Constitution, you know. So, um, that one's young and free, the other one, you know. Yes, we know the other one's 65,000 years old, right? Um right. Don't confuse things. Now, Rome, same deal. Oh, yeah. Um, Australia, you know, imagine, you know, we allow, I I think we, you know, imagine we had a greater concept of allowing Indigenous law to be applied. I think, you know, Aboriginal, personal opinion um, in a bubble is that Indigenous people in Australia are what we call Australia, geographical Australia. There are so many different Australias. Right in what we call geographical Australia, but the indigenous people don't call geographical Australia. Right, on this continent, um, just imagine we have the Australia that is defined by the, what is called the Constitution of Australia, and we also have um, indigenous mobs outside that um, system. Okay, and that would be the concept of indigenous right rights, you know, um, fully realised, you know. Um, now, there could be a, and there's a kind of, there's a kind of, um, two systems on one continent, you know, in that, in such a case. And I think, you know, it'd be nice if somehow we got to that point, I'd, maybe we've got that point a little bit already. Uh, maybe we have got to that point, you know, um, with, um, Mabo and all that sort of stuff. i anyway, Putting that aside, imagine a land where two systems operate at once. And a land like Australia, where you have what, we, what I'll call British law, you know, um, British style law, and then you had Indigenous laws in uh, communities um, in Australia. All right, so imagine those two systems. Now, someone commits a crime on, you know, in an Indigenous sort of community, and, um, the, you know, a murder, let's say. And maybe, depending on how you set these two systems up in Australia, you know, the, uh, the person, the family of the people, the person who got murdered might be able to sort of, will we, will we settle this with Indigenous law or will we settle this with what they call Australian law, you know, under the constitution, And they might say, let's take this to um, Australian law, (coughs) an Australian court of law, and see what they make of it. And um, because I think we'll get better justice on this occasion than if we take it to, than if we apply Indigenous law. You know, um, and the Indigenous law might... Allow for the victim to make such a decision, you know, so it can get quite complex I think, all right, so imagine that you know that whole setup so you're an you're an indigenous family, and someone in your family has been murdered all right and i'm not I'm not picking on someone i'm trying I'm, I'm getting towards a system you know i'm I'm imagining Jesus as a minority group, okay you know all right so i'm not I'm not suggesting Indigenous people murder people more than British-type style, European-style Australians. Oh, this is a different podcast. This is one is about Jesus. All right, so I'm imagining Jesus as an Indigenous person because he was, you know, sort of thing in Judea. Right, so there's been a murder in an Indigenous community in in Australia. And in 20 years now, 20 years from now into the future, and the um, the and the Indigenous law <coughs> says, you know, the way things are set up twenty years from now, from now, that that family has a choice um, to take the um, the accused to an to an an Australian court of law you know under the australian constitution or to have it taken to the elders of the local, of the community of uh, to the to the indigenous nation you know for a hearing all right and this family sits there and has a meeting and they say we'll take it to the australian court of law um for whatever reason it doesn't matter And I think that's what the Jews did. I think they took Jesus across to the Romans and tried to get the Romans to sort it out rather than have them sort it out themselves for whatever reason. And so imagine in the case of the indigenous Australian accused uh, being brought to our courts and then our courts put that guy on a good behaviour bond for two weeks, you know, because uh, let's say you know, um, just the black deaths in custody thing is too much for, you know, let's say relations, you know, we're right into reconciliation and we just can't handle having indigenous people in jail, you know, and, um, our magistrate, um, in, um, says, well, we can only put this guy on a good behavior bond because we just can't handle another black death in custody, you know, and, um, and, uh because that does happen to a lot of indigenous people that are locked up in Australian uh jails, they do end up dead. You know? Um, I'm not making a value judgment there. I think that does happen. You can check the stats yourself. I may be right and I might be wrong. Right. But, you know, that's what the magistrate decides. And um and then um and then uh let's say it's taken all the way up to the High Court of Australia. And then the High Court of Australia says, no, too hard for us. I'll push it back over to the Indigenous. And they say to the Indigenous family, we can't, we can't deal with this, you know. Um, we'll put it across to you. you. You sort it out, you know. I can imagine Australia doing that 20 years from now. Okay, in such a scenario. Right. It won't be perfectly applicable, but all right, so Jesus is brought to Pontius Pilate. I almost suggested that Pontius Pilate, you know, that um, Herod the Great outranked Pontius Pilate in the same system, within the same system, but perhaps Herod the Great was overseeing one system, you know, the system of the Jews, um, or Judea, as a client state, maybe he was a client king. Not a Roman, was he a Roman citizen? Even, you know, maybe Herod the Great was a client king, and in a client system with client system laws, you know, um, and Rome obviously was the um, was um, the uh, the the power within. You know, Rome was in control um, as the uh, dominant force in the area. Right, so it's all within the Roman Empire. uh, But you have these little communities within the Roman Empire who, and this is part of Rome's genius, you know, Rome had a sophisticated system. Uh, They allowed communities to have their own laws. I'm almost certain of that. Right, so the Jews have brought Jesus across to the Roman courts, Pontius Pilate. And Pontius Pilate says, I can't deal with this. Under Roman law, it's not working. I can't find him guilty, you know, Um, under Roman law. And the Jews are very dissatisfied by this, so they march him off to Herod the Great, and Herod the Great uh, somehow manages to get him crucified under Jewish law. Is that what happened? Yeah, something like that. So I may have got all that wrong. Um, Nevertheless, um, none of that discussion... Uh, was important for the overall point that I was making, which had nothing to do with Jesus' trial. Yeah. Uh, The discussion I just had. And and by the way, if you think I led you up a garden path and then brought you back to another garden path and that I just confused the hell out of you, um, that's okay. As far as I can, you know, I don't care. (laughs) And um, I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing anyway because, you know, it gets all the it gets the brain ticking over one way then the other. Um, in some ways, if you've got a professor that's just a great big know-it all and just gives you all the facts blandly um, you know if you're sitting in a lecture hall and he just reels off all the facts, I'm not sure that's the best way to learn anyway. Sometimes maybe it's better to hear someone just thinking something through getting it wrong and then correcting himself, correcting himself later. maybe that's better maybe that's a better way of learning. Or maybe you prefer the lecture theatre model in which someone with a tweed jacket and patches on his arms just tells you how it is, you know. If you want that, go and do that. But I'm here for a chat and a long one at that. Right, so that's that. Um, You know, just make up your own mind about all that. Right, but either way, I think I still can't see Herod the Great hearing a trial involving Jesus, you know. Um, yeah, Herod the Great, the actual king, you know, of the client state within Rome. You know, next thing you, you know, I'm surprised it wasn't taken all the way up to Augustus Caesar for a hearing. You know, uh, uh, you know making Jesus more important than he really was in his time. I really don't think he was that important in his own time, but I could be wrong. Maybe he d- he did create a stir, and the Jewish conservatives were that concerned about him that, you know, that they did take it all the way to the top to Herod the Great. Yeah. Maybe if Jesus caused more of a stir, he would have been taken all the way to Augustus Caesar. That would have been something yeah but sometimes I think with these things, you know Jesus becomes more important later in history, and then retrospectively, we make him more important in his time. you know does that happen a lot in history? you know was Moses next to nothing in his time, you yeah, if he existed, and then um and then he becomes more important because you know Judaism did take off in the in in the world it has taken off um and become bigger than Ben-Hur, <laughs> okay, so Judaism is so big that it's got Hollywood and they can make two Ben-Hur movies, you know, so suddenly, you know, Jew- Judaism, our Jewish culture, it goes global, you know, um, And because it's gone global now, do we retrospectively, do we go back in time, back to when the time of the Jews in Moses' time, whenever that was, the man, the legend, the myth, um, and say he was just important, just as important uh, in Egypt as he is in the USA now. So, for example, a Jewish Jewish, um, story, you know, a Jewish story, of heroism or whatever. Uh, you know, a big name in Jewish history is a big deal in, in um, the USA. Sorry, I got chopped off there by a phone call. Uh, I think you know where I was going with all of that, so I'll just let that one go. Um, okay, so that's that. And there was something else uh, that, I had a rethink about in that other episode. Oh, yes, I think I overcomplicated the various options that pertained to Jesus asking the twelve apostles, uh, as you know, the question, "Who am I?" I think it can come back to either he knew the answer in advance or he didn't. Either he knew that Peter was going to put his hand up and give the right answer or he wasn't. You know, So I think there's only a an option one and an option two. Yes, you can break it down further like I did. But in the end, he either knew in advance that Peter was going to not only answer the question but get it right – yeah. and as a consequence of that Jesus was going to uh, call him the rock upon which Jesus would um, would um, build his church yeah. and you know and have Peter as his right hand man either he knew the result of that question before he asked it or he didn't I'm inclined to you know if I was a theologist I would say I'm inclined to think that Jesus did know the answer to that question before he asked it and um, and then I wonder why he asked it at all unless he was just trying to be illustrative or something but I think it does uh, bring into question whether Jesus was very with whether jesus was so humble, you know, because I think Jesus is famous for never declaring himself to be the Son of God, the Messiah, and all that sort of stuff openly. But in moments like this, I think he is declaring himself to be the Messiah, the Son of God, and all that sort of stuff, you know. He, he talks in riddles a lot. I think he called himself the Son of Man on one occasion, and you know. And these are all cryptic, tricky riddles, you know. But I think Jesus just flat out, you know, via moments like this in the Bible in which I think theologically you'd have to sort of say he knew the answer before he asked the apostles as to who was going to answer the question, who would be his right-hand man and who would be, you know, Peter the Rock, you know. And I think he knew the answer and I think he knew the answer to everything before he, uh, you know, I, I do, you know, everything Jesus knew he was going to be crucified, he set it all up. He was a he he was a death by cop, uh martyr. He was a suicide by cop, as far as I can see, was Jesus. Um he was trying to force Pontius Pilate to kill him, you know, much like a um a um a devout um um I've forgotten the word, but you know what I mean? Someone who wants to be martyred in the modern age even, you know? Um, I think he was one of those. Um, so I think, yeah, Jesus knew everything in a theological sense before it happened, Um except the question oh my god my god why have you abandoned me maybe he didn't know everything that was on god's mind but he knew everything else that was on that was going to happen in the real world you know in terms of the way the bible reads and in that sense you know someone and he really does come across as knowing everything at all times i don't I, um so he's got the answers for everything and in that sense he lacks a lot of humility i think and that's just in my book you know cuz Socrates, for example, said he knows nothing. Where Jesus pretty much goes around saying, "I know everything," you know, and I know he uh, he speaks in parables and riddles. But you know, he's got. If you read through those stories and parables and riddles and the questions he asks the apostles, "Who am I?" You know, the answer's already there, and he's just waiting for some other people to vocalise it. You know what I mean? So I have questions about his humility on that level. He hasn't got a Socrates style. Humility. Socrates was prepared to say, "I know how to think, but I know I do not know what to think." Whereas, I think if you if you look at Jesus's uh, biographies, um, you know the Gospels and all that sort of stuff, on all occasions, Jesus knew exactly what to think. Yeah, bar, you know. No, he always knew what to think, even when he was having his moment of doubting in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was trying to get out of suicide and all that sort of stuff. But he had another voice in his head telling him to suicide, you know what I mean? Um, Death by cop style, you know. Um, So so I think Socrates had one sort of humility – in in as much as he wasn't he was he honestly does come across as amazingly humble Socrates, I really like the sound of him, but he's a pain in the ass in terms of the way he asks questions asks questions he um he he was the king of how to think, but he was humble in terms of what to think whereas Jesus wasn't interested in anything to do with how you should think he says don't even don't even think about that jesus i th- I think jesus said hadn't does Jesus have any messages um, about how to think, or does he just tell you what to think, you know? So Jesus was all about telling you what to think, but I don't think he encouraged people with respect to how they should think, as far as I can tell. Right, so Socrates and Jesus are a very interesting comparison. Socrates is into the how to think, but not what to think, and... Jesus is into what to think, but not how to think, you know. So they're kind of opposites in the way. They both got crucified in the end. Jesus got crucified for what he thought. And um, Socrates got crucified for how he thought, you know, in the end, I think. Okay. Now, Paul is a massively interesting character, I think, because he sort of was brought up on the Socrates sort of tradition. You know, he's he was brought up a, an educated Roman, so he knew all about Socrates and all that sort of stuff. And when I listen to the, Paul's letters to the Greeks, that comes across. He's arguing a case. Uh, I've got to go. True, Socrates wasn't crucified, made to drink poison. Let's... I'll pretend I meant small C crucified. Small C crucified. One comment. I'm no theologian. I'll say one other thing because it's part of that comment. Um, I have quite likely... Looked at all these things that I've just looked at in a shallow way theologically. For example, the idea that Jesus asking questions to which he knows the answer already, Um, and me having a, you know, and that leaving me cold, you know, if I was an apostle, that'd annoy me. Say Jesus, look. If you know the answer, just <laughs> yeah. I am not gonna, you know, I am not going to spend a whole three years being your apostle, and you are just asking me questions, and I am guessing the answers, and you are just patiently and calmly and serenely waiting for me to get the answer right. You know, just tell me the bloody answer. Yeah, I'd be like that. Uh, it could... <sighs> I don't think he was a team player, but then, as I say, I am no theologian. But I wouldn't want to be part of a team which had a leader who uh, did not need my opinion, advice, commentary, anything, ever, you know. I would walk. I'd seriously walk. I wouldn't be interested, you know. Uh, I I lose respect for the apostles. Just going around like absolute... um, you know, um, uh, cult members in, a, in a short were they in a that passive a mode? I, but as I say, I am no theologian. I don't get the apostles how they could do that. How they could be with a bloke who was always right, and how they could spend their whole lives essentially, you know, um, their working lives. Um, having no input whatsoever, yeah, I know what I'm trying to say, even if Jesus was always right. I wouldn't want to be in that team. I could be Paul, um, where he knew the lie of the land from, let's say, the Greek thought perspective, because he was brought up on that stuff, and he knew the lie of the land from the Jewish side of things, because he was Jewish as well as a Roman citizen, and because... Open square brackets, dot, 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 he, dot, 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 close brackets. Knew the political landscape of Rome too, you know, Rome coming out of the Civil War. And all that sort of thing. And how um, all the Roman ways and the Roman gods as well and Greek thought had, on all the evidence, failed everybody. Because Rome had just had a terrible civil war and the Roman Republic had fallen. Just fallen. And now there was an empire, you know, but the people weren't certain that it was an empire. Because, you know, only in retrospect do we know that... Augustus Caesar was the start of a a long and, you know, up and down but successful Roman Empire. Um, At the time of, you know, in Paul's time, there was no, that was no certainty, um, Augustus was just a wild card who'd just got in after the, Re- the Republic had fallen, essentially, and they weren't even sure the Republic was had fallen. We only know that now in retrospect that it had fallen. But, you know, people were still trying to get the Republic back together, and it was all a mess. And there'd been a terrible civil war, you know, and a hundred years of absolute, you know, it was a, a state of terror living in Rome all that time. Um, for the past 100 years, you know, when Rome had turned upon itself in the previous 150 years, really, you know, um, and that's since um, Rome had defeated both Carthage and Greece in, I think it was 146 BC or thereabouts, and after that, Rome had turned upon itself and eaten itself, Um, and, and all that culminated in Julius Caesar and then, you know, terrible civil wars, you know Mark Antony versus and Cleopatra versus you know um, Augustus Caesar and all that sort of thing, and it had been a terrible place to live. Everyone had had a shocking time, and um, and Jesus had come along at the tail end of all of that. And Paul was very well, very well aware of the political landscape. And Paul, you know, and this is why I like Paul's letters to the Greeks, especially. In mass, I always listen out for those because I go to mass. You know, um, I listen out for Paul's letters to the Greeks because I can al- always—they always seem to—I I, I get him. You know, he's sort of saying, "Listen, I know, I know the establishment ways. I know how they work. I know all about Socrates and Plato and Aristotle. You know, I'm steeped in all of that." I was educated in all of that. I know that. It doesn't work, he's saying. And neither does conservative Judaism, because I know all that too, because I am a Jew. I am a Roman citizen. I am a Jew. I know all the sides of the... You know, I know the conservative argument, said Paul. I get Paul a lot more. He's far more interesting to me than Jesus or the apostles, apostles, Peter and all that. Peter... Doesn't interest me much at all. I know he was very influential, or something, setting up lots of community, but communities. But Paul's interesting to me because I can relate him to the modern era. Yeah, you know, he's the he's the um, he, he's the I don't know the progressive sort of power behind the backer. He's the power backer. Behind the start and rise of c- Christianity, you know, and um, I, I reckon he's great. And no, he's terrible. He's, he's a shocker. He's a narcissist. He's interesting. He's good. He's bad. He, he persecuted persecuted the Christians. He he was the um, he was the champion of the Christians. He's a narcissist. Whether he's bad or whether he's good, you know, he's a very interesting character. And he knew them. And, and I see politics. In his letters to the Greeks too, you know, telling them to turn away from their ways, their Greek ways, you know, turn away from rhetoric, turn away from thinking about how you think, let us do your thinking for you, let Jesus do your thinking for you, Jesus will tell you what to think, put aside this business of how you think, uh, because we know how that ends, did you see Julius Caesar? Getting stabbed 23 times in the Senate. That's how that ends. Put that aside. Turn to Jesus. And you will be happier. He, he says that in a lot of his letters. Choose thinking for yourself or happiness. But you can't have both. And he said, I think you should choose happiness. Because I know what I'm talking about. There was no meaning behind the U2 song. It just happened to be on the radio when I was in a silly mood.